Welcome to the Fairway Performance Podcast. My aim for this podcast is to have conversations or to record solo episodes like the one I'm doing right now to help you improve your golf, your fitness, and your health. And I'm your host, Sean Dykoff. Now, today's episode, what I'm going to speak about is the best ways to increase rotational power. And I feel rotational power is something which a lot of people feel there's like only one way in which to do it and they just beat to death that one particular way of doing it and they might milk all of the gains out of that one particular way for a good period of time and then uh, they just keep bashing their head against the wall trying to do that same thing thinking that they're just going to keep improving forever and a comment that I heard or sort of a quote, I guess you could call it, that I heard uh, a long time ago was, um, what got you to where you are is not going to get you to the next level. And essentially with training, that rings very true. And with training, what's going to get us good at a particular thing is to progressively overload towards a certain thing or to progressively make it harder with technical elements or weight or repetitions or whatever it might be that you're progressing in but some sort of progression there and then once we reach a point of diminishing returns where we're either just getting very minimal progress or no progress at all and plateauing uh, it's often referred to we then need to change the stimulus and move towards something else so uh, what I'm going to talk about today is, is a whole bunch of stuff around that but before I dive straight into that stuff, uh, just a quick reminder, uh, in case you didn't listen to last week's episode or you haven't seen some of the posts that I've put up recently uh, on social media, but the Fairway Performance Podcast is now live in the App Store and also on the Google Play Store. So you can go to Apple, um, the Apple, uh, what do you call it, Application Store and search on their App Store and search for Fairway Performance and you can download it for free, uh, sign up to a seven-day free trial on there and give the app a go for seven days and, and see what you think. Uh, if it's not for you, you can easily, in the app, just click on the cancel button and it won't charge you and you won't continue on with the subscription. Um, but if you do see tremendous value in following the programs, which I know there's you know hundreds of you golfers out there already that are doing that, then you can send me a direct message within the app and I'll happily chat with you and uh, we can work out what the best course of action is for you, uh, pardon the pun, uh, yeah, best course of action uh, and, and programs to follow which are going to uh, help you reach your goals with golf, whether that's just longevity, whether it's hitting the ball further um, and you know just general health and fitness. So th- there's programs in there for everyone uh, and I'll be happy to help you once you jump on board uh, to, to help point you in the right direction. Now, today's episode, the, the best way to increase rotational power. Firstly, we need to define what rotational power is and the The actual definition, power equals work over time. So work divided by time or work over time. Uh, And essentially that's our swing arc is going to remain the same. So the, the, the distance that we swing or how far we go in our backswing is probably going to remain the same as we go back and then through. So the thing that will change is the time that that takes and the time that it takes will equal more power uh, coming out. Uh, the, the less time it takes uh, is going to mean more power. So if we know that as the, uh, you know, the end goal or creating more power or more force, uh, then how do we go about doing it? And the, the first thing I want to talk about is actually ways in which we won't do it. <laughs> I know that's a little bit counterintuitive, but um, it'll also dispel a few of the myths that people have and 
uh, just reasons why certain things might work and you may get the feeling of you know hitting it further or getting more speed or, or power from it but in actual fact they're not and I'll, I'll then share the ways in which we can do it and which will definitely help you uh, which are, are backed up by science so things which don't work to help increase power uh, number one is something like a, a swing training aid uh, something like the the easiest example that comes to mind is the orange whip trainer and that's the thing that you'll see sticking out of people's bags that has like a big orange ball on the end of it and for some people swinging this it may actually help increase their swing speed and there'll be a very minimal effect of improving swing speed by doing this but some people might swing this faster than what they actually swing their golf club. So for them, by completing the exercises or the sets and reps or just repetitions of this, uh, it might actually be going into the overspeed realm of training. So they might get some benefit, but there's going to be very minimal benefit there. The reason I see this helping golfers uh, get faster or more power is not through actual adaptations and making the body you know, more athletic, uh, essentially, it's by, or I shouldn't say more athletic, because the, the thing which I see it help people with the most is to become uh, more coordinated and to be able to uh, have better sequencing through their swing. So it helps with the sequencing of your swing, uh, which means that you're becoming more athletic, but we're not actually developing any more speed and power per se, or uh, horsepower to put into the swing. We're just uh, harnessing what we already have and then making the the most efficient swing possible, getting the most power out of the, the available power that we have. Um, hopefully that made sense. Uh, so that's the first thing, the orange whip trainer. That That is going to be really good for some golfers to get sequencing under control and to help warm up and, and to help them feel in rhythm or tempo, whatever the, the words or terminology they want to use. Um, but that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing which is not going to work for uh, building rotational power is doing unstable surface training and I, I see this so often and it's, it just absolutely blows my mind and I just really want more people to hear and know that training on unstable surfaces is not going to help us build any more power or you know force potential in our swing. It's It's actually going to make it worse because we're training on a surface and we just can't output the same amount of power or we can't go close to our maximum thresholds which is what is required for us to build speed and power is to go as close or even above our maximum as often as possible um, with recovery in between but we can't do anywhere near that with uh, unstable surface training so whether that's on top of a BOSU ball or on top of like a, a slant board or sliding board or something like that um, these training tools might be really, really good for doing stuff like improving, you know, feels during a swing or shifting weight and highlighting certain technical type things. But in terms of increasing or or uplifting the amount of total power that you can output, it, it is not going to do very much because we're not able to work near the limits or, or our maximal limits. So uh, it's not going to help that much. The next thing uh, which is not going to help us is mimicking the swing in the gym. So trying to mimic the golf swing as closely as possible and you know just doing sets and reps of something that looks uh, as remotely close to a golf swing as we can, uh, that, that is not going to help our swing. So we really need to separate the, the two things. So one is 
technical work and technique work and slow work and all that type of stuff where you're getting coaching cues and swing thoughts and all of this stuff and that needs to be either you know during your practice rounds or practice with your coach or practice on the range like whatever practice element you have uh, available to you it needs to be conducted during that and then the stuff that we do in the gym is completely separate and what we're trying to do in the gym is turn our um, you know v6 engine and we're trying to to build its capacity to be a v8 engine so that we've you know got more torque and power available to us and then when we go to the range and we practice uh, whatever our swing practice stuff is uh, we can then implement that extra speed and power or um, worst case scenario and even an amazing scenario in of itself is you can still swing at your old maximal speed but it just feels so much easier and it's only swinging at 80% of your, your now max potential because you're just that much fitter, faster and stronger. Uh, and then the last thing uh, which is not going to help uh, with rotational power or you know putting more power into the ball uh, or force into the ball and I thought I would just throw this one in here as like a slightly funny one and slight bit of a, a piss take, but it's a, a new driver. And it's crazy to me how much money people spend on new drivers every single year in order to gain a one or a two mile per hour difference in their ball speed or even their club head speed. Like it might be slightly you know, more aerodynamic or lighter or different shape and enables them to swing at one mile an hour faster or a new shaft or something like that but there's such minimal changes there for someone seeking those improvements and those you know those small marginal uh, increments of of speed increase or power increase that there's so much especially if you're not doing any training there's so much potential that's available to you by literally doing two to three sessions per week of some of the things that I'm going to detail later and that one to two miles per hour in ball speed or club head speed or whatever it is that you're looking for there, you can easily do that. Like even over the, a matter of like two to three weeks, you could improve that if you're currently not doing any training at all. It's um, it, it's just unfathomable the, the amount of improvement that you can make in your swing speed if you haven't worked on any you know athleticism or or gym work how much you can improve that in such a very very short space of time and then obviously to keep that uh, the consistency needs to be there in order to do it so um, I see why people don't because you know it's harder than just buying just tapping your credit card and and buying a new club but uh, it is the thing and you can see it in the professional ranks it is the thing that is setting apart the, the best from the best. They all use the best clubs and the newest clubs and everything like that. And it's literally the people who are more athletic and can swing it faster that hit the ball further. And then those in the top 10 of hitting the ball further are generally the ones who are towards the top of the money list uh, come the end of the, the year on the, the tours. Now, uh, let's get to what will work with uh, producing more rotational power in the swing. Uh, so I've got three things written here which I'll break down, but essentially the first two I've talked a lot about, which are um, overload and overspeed training. Uh, so overload uh, training, if you haven't heard me refer to that or talk about that just yet, uh, is where we will use weights and we'll do lower repetitions, but they're closer to your maximal effort. So we'll do things like sets of three or five or one even if you're really experienced, but we're lifting close to maximal effort and 
this is going to not make us very sore because we're not doing enough repetitions to essentially make us sore enough. And what it's going to do is by maximally recruiting as, as many motor units or as much muscle fibers uh, as possible, it's going to teach us to move faster or to teach the body to, one, produce more type 2 fibers, um, which has been shown to increase your percentage of, of uh, type 2 fibers by doing, excuse me, this type of training. And also recruit max motor units so that you have the potential there to, you know, really swing fast at the ball or, or produce a lot of power. Uh, and we can do that with lots of different things. We can do that with um, rotation elements. We can do it with squatting, deadlifting, pressing, um, plyometric push-ups, jumping. There's all sorts of things that we can do there. Uh, medicine balls. Uh, and then the second part to that is over speed training, which is the exact opposite. So we're going to uh, in, in terms of weight, I should say, not in terms of repetitions, because we're looking to do a similar amount of repetitions, around three to five. The reason being, uh, because for overspeed, the easiest way to think about this is to, um, if you say got your, um, you know, say you got your three iron, and instead of holding it at the grip, you held it at the club head end and had the grip down to the ground where you would hit the ball, and you swung that as fast as you could three times, you're going to be able to swing it faster that way than you would if you were to use your three iron normally. So what that's going to do is make you swing faster than what you normally do with your three iron. So that's over speed training. So essentially, instead of operating at a max capacity of a hundred mile an hour swing with our three iron, say, uh, we can do, you know, three swings with a lighter club or, or the three iron turned upside down at, you know, 105, 110 miles an hour. And then that's teaching the body to move that quickly. So if we've got the strength and we've got the speed, then we should be able to start getting our three iron up, you know, from 100 to 102, 105, 107, 110 miles an hour. And then obviously the other, the lighter implement will start getting faster also. So essentially that's what overspeed training is, is using a lighter implement and trying to go faster than what our current capacities are so that we're driving our ceiling up, which is the thing that makes you feel uh, when you say, when someone says like, oh, I don't feel like I'm swinging that hard, but it's still at their old max. Um, this is the thing, the, this over-speed training is what makes it feel that way. Uh, so that's the first two, overload, over-speed. I've talked about those at length and you can see in a few other episodes that I've done before um, or go back and listen to a couple of those and I'll really break down, those down a little bit further. There's like sets and reps and other bits and pieces you can do there. Uh, but the last thing I'm going to talk about is eccentric overload training in rotation in particular. So Eccentric overload training means that uh, on the way down, so if we talk about eccentric, the eccentric portion of a movement is the way down. So essentially in a squat, it is the lowering phase. So our muscles are getting longer as we're trying to contract against that. So we're resisting gravity, just throwing us to the floor. Uh, in a bicep curl, it is if you've got the weight curled up to the top of the, the movement, so you, your bicep fully flexed, as you lower that weight down in front of you, that is the bicep muscle lengthening while you're trying to contract against that. So that's the eccentric portion there. So eccentric uh, overload training for rotation uh, would be the same. So if we uh, say we're doing a, um, a medicine ball throw against the wall, I'm a right-handed golfer, I turn the ball to my right-hand side, that is me 
uh, eccentrically loading one side of the body. And then as I throw the ball to the other side, it's it's a concentric on one side and an eccentric on the other side because the eccentric has to stop me from just rotating and uh, completely twisting my spine and, and breaking my spine. So there needs to be some sort of uh, an antagonist or, or um, agonist and antagonist uh, muscles working uh, in unison there. Now, some things that we can do uh, with this eccentric overload training is, or some movements to put this idea into your mind is we can use cable machines, we can use med balls, and we can use um, anti-rotation and rotational exercises. So the the first one, the cable machine. So what we can do here is something like a, uh, a pal-off press or some sort of a, a rotation where Say I'm a right-handed golfer and I'm going to uh, do a, a chop or something in the same direction as my swing. I would grab the handle, pull it to my chest. I would then rotate as if I was uh, have completed my swing and pressed it out in front of me. And then that weight would be really heavy and I'd have to resist that going back down into the um, into the cable machine or into the, the, the holder or whatever you would call it, the catcher. Um, and then I would bring it in and press it back out and then really lower down slowly. And the reason I have to pull it in and then press it out in front of me is because it's too heavy to do the concentric phase of the movement and I have to get it into position. And then when it's there, I have to resist it on all the way back down into the, the, the cage or the house or whatever you want to call the, um, the little receptacle where the, um, the cable goes back to. Now, the reason we have to do that is because if we're really going to overload an eccentric movement, it's been studied and said that you can perform 30% heavier weights with the eccentric portion of a movement than what you can with the concentric portion. So this explains why a lot of people, when they um, you know, are trying a pull-up, for example, they can jump up and they can hold their chin over the bar, even if it's only for a fraction of a second, but they can lower themselves down with some control, like it's not completely out of control. But then when they get to the bottom, they just literally can't pull themselves up. So that's the concentric phase for the lats and the biceps, uh, whereas the lowering phase is the eccentric portion. So they're stronger in that portion than they are the the concentric or the pulling themselves above the pull-up bar phase so with the um with a squat for example uh it's why when people go for a one rep max or maybe two three rep max they can lower the bar down under some control and, and somewhat controlled and then once they hit the bottom and try and explode back up or try and stand back up as fast as possible they just literally can't stand back up is because the eccentric is strong and then the concentric is just not as strong and that's just to highlight the difference in the two firstly muscle contractions and also the fact that one is a little stronger than the other uh, so the first exercise there that i talked about was the cable machine one um, so the resisting the rotation and stopping it from just you know flying back into the housing the next one we could do is uh, with med ball so you can do this yourself. So you can uh, say I'm seated there with a wall on my left side, my heels on the ground out in front of me, uh, sort of like in a sit-up position or a Russian twist position. And then I'm going to get the ball on my right-hand side. I'm going to throw it over my left-hand side, so over over my pelvis uh, as, I, as I rotate over, sort of like a Russian twist sit-up type movement. So I throw it into the wall. It bounces into the wall. 
and then it comes back to me and I've got to resist that uh, that rotation on the way back. So that would be a uh, an eccentric overloading type thing in rotation. Uh, that's a little bit more dynamic, so it involves a little more coordination, power in throwing the ball, so you determine how hard that ball is going to come back. So you're trying to be really explosive in the concentric so that the eccentric then becomes harder. Uh, and then obviously the weight of the ball adds to that. Uh, another way that you could do it uh, is you could have a friend throw the ball to you and you've got to catch it and resist it before it hits the floor next to you and and, uh, and control that ball before it hits the floor. Um, and yeah, that's that's all I'll say for those. Uh, so the yeah, like a med ball, someone throwing it to you or you throw it against the wall and then it bounces back to you. Um, they're probably the best two that I would say uh, w- would be good for someone. And then... The last one that I'll talk about is uh, for like bench presses or squats or even uh, actually deadlifts, probably not so much, but um, definitely squats and, and bench press. When we um, when we are doing the uh, squat, for example, if we're lowering down and we have chains or bands attached to the, the barbell that's on our back or, or our front, we will have the most weight as possible or as much weight as possible at the top of the movement. So if I've got bands or chains, the bands are going to be at full tension pulling that, trying to pull that bar down uh, and pull me faster into the uh, lowering phase or the eccentric phase of the movement. And then I'll also, uh, you can do the same thing with chains. So if chains are loaded to it and they're fully off the ground when you're standing at the top of the movement, that all the weight is there. So max weight is going to be there as you start to lower. Then as you lower down and get further towards the the bottom of the movement, there's going to be less weight or less chain resistance there so that when you stand, there's the least amount of resistance there. It's just the barbell. But then pushing you on the way down is something which is, you know, 10, 20, 30% heavier in in actual terms than what's actually on the barbell. So it might be a a 100 kilogram, uh, 100 pound back squat and you've got about 30 pounds of chain tension there or 30 pounds of chains on there so it's 130 pounds or 130 kilos whatever units you want to use Uh, then as you lower down through that it gets lighter and lighter and lighter till when you're at the bottom it's 100 you can stand it up fairly easy but then it gets harder as you're standing Uh, and then on the way back down obviously it starts at that 130 pounds or kilos and then and then gets uh, lighter on the way down so that's just an example of the uh the, essentially accommodating resistance so it's getting harder as the the movement um well it's harder for the eccentric portion of the movement than than what it is for the concentric phase uh, cool then the last thing so hopefully what you've got so far is an appreciation for what power is which is work over time so the same amount of work needs to be conducted in a golf swing because we're doing a full swing say with the driver um, and it's the time in which we do that uh, which means that we're more powerful. So in order to do that, we need to have more strength and more speed. Um, things which won't work are you know, training aids like a whip trainer or other items similar to it. A new driver is, is not going to help you. It may help with very minimal uh, improvements, but it's not going to give you a very big improvement, which training your body is going to give you significantly more improvement than a new club will. Uh, then the next one, unstable surface training, uh, just because we are literally not able to put out the same amount of power and work towards our maximums, there's 
not going to get much benefit there and then trying to mimic the swing in the gym because we just are not going to be able to do it and we may as well focus more on athleticism and building other parts than just trying to practice the swing in the gym we need to do gym work in the gym and swing work when we're practicing or doing a, a range session for example now the last thing i'll say is all of this needs to be structured if your if your end goal is you know slow consistent or long-term consistent progress then a structured program needs to be followed if you don't have something structured it's hard to have progressive overload it's hard to advance in reps in sets in volume uh, in technicality of movement uh, in variations to each movement Um, it's just impossible so bouncing around program to program is not going to help with this you need to give a program a good go for a period of time in order to see the efficacy of it and to see the benefits from it so that you can actually notice some gains and see some improvements and then obviously that's going to exponentially keep you interested because you're you're making improvements there so this would be the the number one determinant or i won't say this would be this is the number one determinant to success in a program is adherence to the program and being consistent in that adherence so if you're on the fence about it, you're not sure, like, please just give a, a good speed or power training program a go for a number of weeks. Follow the sets and reps that it says. And at the end of it, if you have some data from the start to the finish of how fast you swing, where you hit the ball, all of these things that are actually measures and they're not just like, oh, it didn't feel like I could hit it further, then then you've got some data to then move forward with. Like it did or it didn't work and you can change and, and whatever you need to from there. But you need to have something that yeah, is structured first and foremost and then also have some tangible data and results there so that you can hand on heart say whether it did or didn't work and then you'll know what changes to make for any future programs. So um, as always, guys, I really hope that added some some value and you, know, you enjoyed uh, listening to me just... Uh, talk and rant on here for what is it now 24 25 minutes um i i'm really really passionate about this stuff because we just need to get more people in the world of golf listening and and understanding this in order to help them improve their games because i feel that our fitness and our bodies is just such a low-hanging piece of fruit that a lot of people just don't pay that much attention to and they just take for granted and you know, if the best players in the world are investing a lot of money into improving themselves, they've got PJ Tour trailers these days, and you see Cam Smith and all those guys are, are training in their gyms during the off seasons and and everything else. It's just we just need to be doing it if we're if we're going to try and uh, have a good crack at, at potentially improving our game. Um, you know, stop falling for the marketing hype of the big companies because every year a new driver is not going to help you. Uh, improve your game all that much Uh, you might hit a couple more fairways but you're just not going to hit it that much further Um, anyway i'll I'll, I'll leave i'll leave the the little bit of a a last minute rant there guys Um, yeah i hope it's helped Um, if you did find some value to it please share it with just one other person who you think would get some value from it also Um, if you haven't already i would love it and appreciate it if you could leave me a five-star rating or review Uh, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to this episode. Uh, It really helps the show grow. And thanks uh, to all those who have already left reviews. And and, um, and it's been amazing to have your support and help with that. Uh, And then lastly, I hope you play well this week. Uh, Enjoy your training. Enjoy your round of golf. And I'll see you guys next week.